set up facing not their bima or shender uh, where they had their Torah uh, but rather to the uh, projection screen which was showing our camera and they actually prayed with us for the first time this morning it's, uh, very cool I'm sorry they, they have chosen to uh, have their own portion discussion which probably started on time um, <laughs> So um, I am expecting that we probably still have Texas tuned in. I know that we have some folks in France. It's true. I have We're liking the French more and more these days. And uh, South the Africa. The most unusual is Saudi Arabia. Hello. Shalom. So I do uh, just a couple of announcements. Today is the 20th of Kislev. The Feast of Dedication is on the 25th of Kislev. Kislev. <laughs> The, uh, this is the ninth portion of the year that Jerry Wright has chosen not to pray with me. It is true. It is true. Wait two more weeks, see what happens. <laughs> this is portion by Ashev, and he dwelt. What? Three weeks. Actually, he'll pray with you next week. Yeah, we will. Yeah, definitely. I will pray with you. That's right. See that? See? You just have to have the right invitation. That's right. That's right. As I did this morning. The right invitation? Yeah. Oh! I'm sorry. As I did this morning. As I did this morning, a big welcome back and uh, gracious hello to Sean and Lisa Wright and a mazel tov to... Kayla and Grace. Yes. Yeah. I was talking to Lisa, and it turns out that don't know how it's going to be, but there actually could be three weddings at the Wright family between Ashlyn and Brock and Grace next year. So you want to pray for financials? It's going to be a little tough, right? From from my mouth to God's ears. Right. All right. Um, Anna Gordon is back. I don't see Anna's, Anna's back. She brought Olivia with her. Hi, Anna. I understand that Olivia will be doing a little piano solo after the portion discussion, and those of you tuned in should watch for that. Outstanding. We uh, will probably close our portion discussion today uh, and take, if it's all right with you, uh, just take another opportunity to pray for Dale, uh, Rick's brother-in-law, Dale Schoenwald. 
Um, if you didn't get a chance to meet him, um, when was he up? Was that for a wedding? wedding? Whose wedding? For the yeah. wedding? Yeah. Uh, when we when we went uh, and we were at the hotel nearby here, um, he uh, he came up to me after uh, the Torah service uh, and the portion discussion, <coughs> and uh, he was on his canes and, and, and walking and whatnot. And uh, we must have talked for an hour together. Uh, he was so grateful and felt so blessed by God to have lasted long enough with his uh, illnesses to actually have been called up to the Torah to read. It was really a spectacular time for me to meet such a godly and wonderful man. So we'll be praying for his sickness, and you'll hear more about that at the end. The Lost and Found is growing. It is on the dining room table. Now, I know that by the time we're all done, your brains have faded and you're tired and ready to get home for a little Shabbos schnooze. You're going to go right past the dining room table and forget about what maybe you forgot some previous time. So, make a note. Dining room table. We'll be selling that, giving it to charity soon. <laughs> so feel, uh, feel free to step in there whenever you like. Welcome back. Okay. I said this on our last portion discussion. I said it the time before. I'll say it very quickly this time just to make sure we are all on the same sheet of music. Are you on the same sheet of music? I'm about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's just tired of hearing it. Was I even asked? It's the, it's the countenance. Your countenance falls. I noticed immediately. Okay. So, uh, it's, been our, it's been our experience over the, over the past several years that we have heard some of the most unbelievably wonderful stories and midrashim and drashes and mystical, wonderful things. And as the years have gone by, we tend to stop doing that. We tend to stop sharing those because, well, I shared that last year. Why would I share that again this year? It would be boring to everyone. <clears throat> Wrong answer. It's not boring to everyone. In fact, for my sake, repeat anything you've said in the past <laughs> that was cool because I can't remember anything you said over the past several years. So share it. And if we're all so much in agreement that we know it and have heard it and recite it to others, we'll just boo you down. I just can't imagine that happening, though. So we do want to share everything. And, of course, this being one of Joe Gordon's and my favorite portions. Good-looking Joe. We, uh, we, we do want to take a look at the parallels with Messiah Yeshua. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, uh, stand by. It looks like someone was playing with my... I just want to do a reminder, everybody, next week. Oh, that's right. I, I beg your pardon. Um, this is the fourth Shabbat. This is the fourth Shabbat, so normally we would not be meeting next Shabbat. It's the fifth Shabbat. And for those of you, before I talk about that Shabbat, we don't meet every other week. So every other week from now would be the first Shabbat. And if you come on the first Shabbat, you will feel out of place. <laughs> you are more than welcome to pray with us. 
but you will be out of place. You will feel that way, and we'll try and make you feel that way. As well. <laughs> no, 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 we won't. Um, but yes, next week, fifth uh, Shabbat of, uh, of this month. Where is he? He is enjoying his last day of childhood. His last, uh, <laughs> his last young man. Oh, the young man at the very height. Otherwise, heights. we would make him angry. <laughs> Wearing a sweater that looks just like the one I have in the door. We'll be at... Uh, Judah Spurlock's Bar Mitzvah. I hope to see you there and to uh, help with the joy that the Spurlock family has as their last son becomes Bar Mitzvah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. The, uh, the book of Bereshit is a book of beginnings and we're coming to the close here. Chapter 37 always rings for me as I've been in places and in teaching positions where someone would say, well, well, Genesis is so, what's all about, what's Genesis all about? So if you had just one sentence, what would you say Genesis is all about? Other than the beginning. What's it all about? Go. God's relationship with his people. God's relationship with his people. Ooh, his people. I like that. Setting the stage for Messiah. Setting the stage for Messiah. Can you see how that could flesh out? That'll preach too. Uh, I thought your hand went up. It did not go up. I did. I was going to say the patriarchs. The patriarchs. I would. I like that, Brock. And that's where I was going. I would rephrase it and say it's, it's all about one man's family and his relationship with God that he passes down to his son and his relationship with God and passes down to his son. And now it becomes a book that I can learn from and emulate. Good, yes ma'am. I was gonna say the promises. A book about the promises. I mean, there are some later on, but it has most There of were no promises, well, there were some <laughs> promises. <laughs> yes, exactly right. We see the promises from the very beginning, with Chava, right? And with the problem and the fixing of sin, and it comes through, but you can't bring a Messiah through a people unless you start with a guy who's going to have people. And yes, sir. And a girl. Thank you very much. This <laughs> your point, is a family portrait. So. I like that. I, I think that's the best so far. Mm. A family portrait. And it keeps each generation. Say that again, because there was some noise in the back. It was just it was like static. I couldn't hear. What was that? Revealing how each generation anticipated the coming one in that generation. Very good. That is really cool. And a, and a super perspective, especially for me, as I look back, and it appears that Peter and Paul and many of the apostles were thinking, it's our generation. He's coming back. 2.30, maybe 3 o'clock. Could be today. Good. This generation. Yes. It lays the foundation for our faith in intergenerational faithfulness. Good. Intergenerational or multi-generational faithfulness. Absolutely. Yes, it does. In fact, without this book, there really is no foundation to your faith. There's no foundation about any type of problem with our lack of obedience. There's no problem with understanding who the creator of the world is and therefore the king of the universe. There's, there's, there's nothing there of substance on which we can build a faith and a generation. You bet. This book also to me is like the plot of land with the treasure buried inside, and it's just ooh, begging for ooh, us to dig in. Ooh, yeah, that's cool. Which, which makes it tough for us, right? I mean, you and I are often at odds about 
what in the world we're going to dig in in these very, very long portions because there's, there's so much. much. <laughs> there, I mean, it's true, right? You know, and you know, we'll lament afterwards when the portion discussion, oh, I wish we had talked about such a, well, there wasn't time. Oh, you know, we went Next down year. this rabbit trail. Next year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we'll do it at the feet of our king. I was, uh, I was taken, just as a personal comment, this, uh, this week as I was studying, and I thought of the pithy saying I heard in church that I was a child of the king. Well, that's true. It doesn't really have a whole lot going for it. It doesn't work for me. I mean, yeah, so what? But when I realized that a man in this portion took his relationship with the king, the king, so seriously that he took circumstances and ignored them and simply worked as unto Messiah, as unto God, because he was a child of the king, it gave me a new perspective that it doesn't matter. I mean, we're going to see here shortly, God made Joseph a successful man. When it says that, he was a slave in prison. Hello? <laughs> That's not our understanding of success. And yet, Joseph doesn't seem to have a problem with where he is. And only once... Does he even mention, by the way, if you think that dream interpretation was good, you won't have any idea about the dream interpretation I'll give you if you get me out. It wasn't like that. When you get out of here, please remember me so I can get out of this bite, this house. Because he wanted to be in a different house. I think it's a great perspective. I am successful not because of my surroundings, not because of my circumstances. I'm successful because of who I represent, always. Even when it's unfortunate, even when it seems to be not what was expected. And I like that. Joseph? Yes, ma'am. Is that sort of similar to for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Sure. Um, I, I, I don't know that I can uh, really put Messiah in, in our shoes quite to that extent, but you bet. I mean, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We, we want to do God's will, and, and that's what he said over and over through his life. You know what I say? It's his words. What you see me do, it's what he told me to do. I'm just doing what he told me to do. And, and really, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Yes, ma'am. Uh, do you think there's any credit given or would be given to his parents, Joseph's parents? Um, based on the other 11 brothers and daughter, um, I can't, I would, I mean, this is, this is just me. You know, we'll, we'll see if some of the, the luminaries in the crowd want to chime in. But my perspective is, if you came to me and said, I'm looking for biblical examples of great parents, I'd say, let's look in a different book. <laughs> 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 sure. Yeah. 
seriously. All the principles are there. All the precepts are laid out. How many examples do you have? I mean, even Hannah and Elkanah. How much parenting did they do? He's we. Pass him off. I mean, we're talking summer school that lasted a long time. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I do notice that in this portion, when he did his uh, second dream, which, I mean, just saying those out loud, to me, it was just stupidity. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, the first time, it didn't go well. Why would you even share the second dream? But he did. I think he was compelled to do so. But do you remember what it says at the end of that? His father cherished those in his heart. Right? It reminds you of Mary. That's called romance. There's six of them that I want to go through today. Outstanding. So I don't know. Um, I think as a parent, I struggle with five kids. I struggle with trying to make sure that those four daughters never, ever hear me say, you're my favorite daughter. <laughs> and you know what? Every one of them is my favorite daughter. But of sons, you say. <laughs> now I can honestly say Peter is my favorite son. My favorite. But, it, but thank you very much. But I, I but I, I do see that Jake, uh, Jacob or Israel, he doesn't do that. He makes it clear. Out of out of twelve, I got one favorite. Here's the coat. Here's the keys to the car. You know that kind of deal. So I I, I have trouble with that from a parenting perspective, and. Um, and I think my father, my father, a blessed memory, would agree as well. But I do think that we learn from this example is not necessarily how um, Jacob does with the rest of the kids. But I do believe that Joseph is who he is because of his interactions with Absolutely. his father. No question. Because I think that that's actually one of the lessons from this passage is so powerful. Is that had Jacob been better, I think, at training the rest of his sons as well as he poured into Joseph... I think they would have ended up better as well. You bet. Because Joseph is the one guy who gets uh, focused in on, and he's the one who turns out to be the strongest, the best leader, the wisest, the most righteous. And interestingly enough, when it says that he is the son of his old age, that Hebrew doesn't make any sense at all. Because in Hebrew it says Ben Zakanim, which is actually like the son of old, old ones. Yeah, old people. Old people. And so the, the, the sages play games with this phrase because they're like, what is this? Like, you can't. So they go back and they say that he was trained by Jacob based on the academy of Shem and yeah. Eber, yeah. The, his ancestors, into like the ancient ways basically of God. So, Jake, so Jacob gave him like the advanced class yeah. because he knew that Joseph would need it. Right, the special understanding. And I think that as fathers, or as a potential future father, Lord willing, sorry, Hashem, that we um, we have to recognize that that's the power of a father on no his question. sons or no daughters. Question. When he teaches them directly, when he interacts with them directly, he shapes and changes their lives. No question about it. I agree. And, of course, we see this in the text, even in the smallest way, as we see that Joseph obeyed his father and went to look for his brothers in mm -hmm. Dothan. I'd be arguing with Dad. You want me to go check on them? Oh, come on, Dad. They hate me. This is not going to work out well. But we don't read any of that. Yes, sir. I was just going to point out that the, one of the, pretty much the first time I've ever seen this was that in relation to the blessing that the one who makes Aliyah after reading the Torah, mm -hmm. him blessing and success in his every handiwork. Yeah, and his every endeavor. You bet. Exactly. And uh, this, that's got Joseph just written like, all over that's it. That's good. That's good. It's a, a great tie back to our everyday stuff. Other comments <coughs> on this portion before we dive in? Okay, take a deep breath. 
Okay. Verse 3, now Israel, chapter 37, loved Joseph more than all his sons. Why? Because he was the child of his old age, and he made him a fine woolen tunic. Was it wooden? Woolen. And now we have a... uh, now we have an actual physical representation of the father's love. His brothers saw that it was he whom his father loved most of all his brothers, so they hated him. They could not speak to him peaceably. So, you've read the story, you know how it goes, um, and you do recognize that Joseph is one of the most extraordinary examples of Messiah in the Word of God. Yes? Yes. I think three years ago, we used our portion discussion time to actually make a list of all the parallels between Joseph and Messiah. And it's like three pages long, and Mary and I um, have typed that up last year and, and, and settled it. And I think we got them all. We've wrung that thing out. But I just wonder if you recognize from, from a, a sage perspective where the Jewish sages come from with regard to Joseph. The Jews believe that there's not one Messiah, but two. Or maybe the same. And maybe the same. Messiah ben or Messiah ben David. So Joseph and David are two extraordinary representations of Messiah. Well, in, in one regard... And, and we we'll probably want to get into this later. I don't know, but uh, oh, jump the, down. The, the, the notion that we have the story of Yehuda and Tamar in the middle of this account of Joseph is, I mean, odd to say literary. It's just odd. But if you have a if you have a Gutnik Humash, God willing, everyone will have one soon. <laughs> in the Gutnik, it actually makes note of this irony that this story of Yehuda must be somehow juxtapose against Joseph for a reason. And and the commentary, not just from one source, but multiple commentaries is it's not by accident that it's here for a reason because we know that from Yehuda and Tamar come Peretz and Peretz is the 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 ancestor of Messiah, Hamashiach. And they also recognize that Yosef has some connection to Yeshua or not to Yeshua, but to Messiah. To Messiah. And we recognize the parallel, but the sages recognize that Yosef represents a messianic figure, and for that reason, the two are placed in close proximity. Yes. Where Yosef is given a dream about his uh, preeminence, and at the same time, unbeknownst to us, uh, Potiphar's wife, what was her name? Who cares? We know his daughter's name, though. The problem is that she didn't understand the dream that she had, or whatever it was, that she recognized that something good could come of this, this, a descendant from Yosef, misconstrued. It's the descendant from Peretz. But she also recognizes this righteous man has has righteous seed available. And she wants that his, she wants, and she sees a dream that it's going to be her Son. It turns out not to be her son, but her grandson. That's traditional, but is it, there's a parallel between the story of Tamar yeah. and the and the ancestor of Messiah and Yosef and this relationship with Potiphar's wife that didn't come to fruition. Doesn't that remind you of uh, Pilate's wife? 
<laughs> I had a dream. Don't, don't, don't have anything to do with this guy. Um, don't I guess. Wash your hands. That's right. Don't even wash your hands. I do, I do want to you know, point out before Greg talks that uh, it, you should note that in the visible representation of the church from which many of us have come, the focus is normally on what the text means. And little regard is, is of course, given to the Jewish sages. But I would bring to your attention that the Jewish sages have already dealt with what it means. They're working on why is it in this particular spot? To your point, why isn't the thing about Judah and Tamar before this thing starts in 37? It's kind of like, it's kind of like a bookmark to say, this is about Messiah, pay yeah. attention. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, it's a you know, big Messiah thing. Yes, <clears throat> Just to... Um, Follow on the heels of. Ah, Thank you. I'd be blessed for you to follow on those. <laughs> uh, there's also, there's also a, sort of a, a, another parallel, or really, it's part of the same parallel, because you have, we had this tension, this uh, competition to a certain extent between Leah and Rachel, and they're both. Um, you know, competing for the affections of Jacob, um, but they're also competing to have their son or one of their sons be the one, the next guy, be the next guy, right? So, <clears throat> and of course, we have Yosef, who is the son of Rachel, and we have Judah, who is the son of Leah. So, to a certain extent, having Yosef and Judah kind of appear in this odd fashion sort of juxtaposed in this portion is really it's really playing off of that that struggle that was there with their mothers but it's to say it's as if to say no 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 both mothers are going to be honored and both mothers will have a son that ha that is a messiah like figure yeah. right and um, so that's kind of a cool that's good. Cool. That's good. So, who would like to give me the high-level parallels between Joseph and Yeshua? Sort of in order. So, I'll go ahead. Well, stand and do it, please, if you would. <laughs> I mean, you are talking about the sign. <laughs> well, the first one that I... <laughs> he's, just, he's just trying to hang What's on the GT of a righteous man. <laughs> Straightening them out. You're such a straight man. <laughs> I don't even know you. Becomes <laughs> a spiritual matter. <laughs> the uh, the first parallel I noticed was the binding of the sheaves. Joseph said, "Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it." And they bow down to my sheep. And the first parallel I think of is Yeshua when 
he announces that the people are going to come after him to worship him. And they, his brothers say, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? And a lot of people think, how can a man say that anyone is going to worship him as a king? And of course, the parallel is here. Joseph doesn't seem to have any problem with his brothers bowing down to him as the, the head sheaf. Likewise, Yeshua also did not reject when people, for example, the disciples in the boat, as soon as he had calmed the sea, they, it says the text says they bowed down and worshipped him, and he did not rebuke them. Likewise, Thomas, when he had touched his hands in Yeshua's hand and his hand in Yeshua's side, said, My Lord and my God, and likewise was not rebuked. Which is the opposite of what Peter did when Cornelius bowed down and worshipped Correct. him. Correct, he said, don't do it. Don't do that. Likewise, John attempted to, in the book of Revelation, bow down before an angel, and it was also rebuked. Uh, and then he dreamed another dream and told, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And the, per the parallel here would be Jacob's response when he said, Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. So it's the same concept. Not only are the contemporaries going to bow down, but the former generations will bow down. So likewise, the leaders of Jerusalem, Yeshua expected for them to follow him. He didn't reject them. He wanted them to follow him. So that's the second parallel. Um, one of the other parallels I saw was Joseph going out to call the shepherds. So his brothers were pastoring their father's flock, and Joseph, not pastoring the flock for whatever reason, he's at home, goes out to find them. Yeshua, likewise, being the good shepherd, goes out to call the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, to repentance, but is rejected. Uh, and find, and continuing with... Well, wait, wait, didn't the shepherds of Israel kill him? No, Yeshua actually explicitly states that he's handed over to the Gentiles who killed him. Ah, who handed him over to the Gentiles? Uh, some of the Sadducees okay. of the political Sanhedrin. Okay. Which is by no means related to the or the system. Arabs. We're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Good. Good. And they, uh, they see him coming. They say, "Here comes this dreamer," which you have a good note on the train, the Hebrew of that. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the one of the, the pits. Then we will say, "A fierce animal devoured him." We'll see what will become of his dream. So he's handed over. And one of the where uh, Judah comes into play. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit will it be if we kill our brother and consume his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites for pieces of silver. And who is Yeshua betrayed by? But Judas, whose Hebrew name is Judah, for pieces of silver. So there's another parallel. Okay. Uh, then they go back and they tell the father that the son is dead. So he's gone. And the father is unbelievably upset by this, tearing his garments, putting sackcloth in his loins, and mourning for his son many days. And his father, his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, and he refused to be comforted. So the obvious parallel here is that Joseph is sold to foreigners. He's sold to the people of Ishmael. He's given, and just as Yeshua was given over, 
by his people to the Romans, who were the foreigners in this story. No, continue. I get you. I get you. Betrayed by one of his own for 20, 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> Inflation. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason it was 30 is because the uh, prices were, as he said, higher in those days. And the Midianites sold him to Potiphar. That's good. I think those are the, the most obvious. So the most obvious parallels, not getting ahead, would be Yeshua's first coming, where he comes yes. and he is saying some pretty remarkable things that. He actually is the promised one. You all are going to bow to me, he says, and is rejected by that. So there's a lot of when people say, well, Yeshua, he could not have said these things. There's no way. That was added later by the church. It's not so far-fetched when you see that hmm. back in Joseph, the first coming of Joseph to his brothers to announce this doesn't go well. <laughs> Likewise, earlier, Moses was a savior figure, and that he came to his own people and tried to help the two of them. And they say, would you be ruler over us? You and murdered you got, somebody. And you got 40 years in the desert. That didn't work out well either. Uh, so Moses' <laughs> first coming to his people, likewise, was rejected. So we shouldn't be ashamed that Yeshua's first coming was rejected because we've seen a pattern. Hmm. And then there's a period of silence where the Egyptians, in this case, love Joseph. They, well, later on, not in this particular passage, but they esteem him. They love him. They give him the head over things. And so the Egyptians accept him. The foreigners accept Yeshua only in time to see that that will change. So those are the obvious parallels. That's good. That wow. I think you did great. <laughs> you notice the notebook you use? The Bible. <laughs> you do. All right. Give me a broad brush. You know, the Egyptians, his clothing, it looks funny, it was hidden, he was revealed. Come on, come on. I mean, I can remember, I can hear you doing it three years ago. Come on. Well, I, I, I want to pick up on, obviously, you covered a, a, a lot of the highlights, which is great. Uh, I just, I'd like to add a couple thoughts. Uh, one is, you know, verse three, we have the introduction of the, the tunic or the cloak or coat of many colors. Um, and uh, Hazal understood that to, to be a picture of royalty. You know what Hazal means? No. You know what Hazal means? Olivia doesn't know what Hazal means. Jerry, you know what Hazal means? Mary, what's Hazal? Chachamenu zichronam levracha. In English? Sages of blessed memory. Our sages of blessed memory. Our wise ones. Exactly right. They understood that the, this, um, this tunic was uh, unique. It was wool dyed with these br brilliant colors that would have been, it would have been reds, blues, you know, purples. It would have been colors of, of royalty is how they understood this. Right. So it's a, so in other words, it was a picture of, it was basically a sign to the rest of the brothers that said, I'm getting the inheritance. And this, does this, does this come after? This comes before the, all the dreams. Right, we're going about down. But which, it's after Ruvain has has defiled his fathers. Well, that's true. But it but it does kind of make kind of what uh, we were talking about earlier. He pondered it in his heart. Hmm. Well, so yeah, so so the, the point there is that the cloak of many colors 
is a picture of loyalty. Yeah. Um, now, the comment on the uh, the first dream of the binding of the sheaves, right? He says, when we're binding sheaves in the field below, my, my sheep arose and stood upright. Um, there's a there's a understanding here that the sheaf uh, the sheaf that arises and stands upright is actually an allusion to the resurrection. Okay, um, and consequently, of as a result of the sheaf, you know, standing upright, a la resurrection. Everybody bows down. Everybody bows down, in particularly his his brothers. Okay, now. So, the it gets cooler. So, <laughs> of the, course. So the interesting parallel there is um, when you look at the life of Yeshua, and in particularly look at the um, chronology of his passion, as we would say in, in last week in Christianity. Um, we know that he died during the week of Pesach, right, and. Um, and either on or within a day or so of his resurrection, there's something that we do only at that time um, with, a, with a particular type of sheaf. And it is the barley sheaf that we wave before Hashem as the first fruits of the barley harvest, of which Rav Shaul uh, comments and says, that's a picture of Messiah because he is the, the first, first fruits of those, of those who are uh, who are risen from the dead. In other words, tying back to this concept of the sheaf stands up and and, and, and erect. Okay, so the idea here is when is the when are the brothers going to recognize his authority and bow down? I would argue, and I think, I think. The, I think Rashol backs me up on this, that it happens at the resurrection. Because what do we see in Romans 11 when Shaul describing you know, the whole motif about the olive tree, etc. Yeah. He says, look, if they're blinding, referring to his brethren, you know, according to the flesh, if their blinding brought salvation to the, to the world, what will their seeing be but resurrection from the dead? Wink. That's right. right. <laughs> so, I think there's, um, I think there's an allusion to all of that, right, right back to do. And it means his mother, who's dead. So obviously, yes. it can't be something happening in that lifetime. Right. So that's one thing I wanted to point out on the, uh, on the sheaves there. Um, then it says, um, uh, then it says that that you know Israel told Joseph. Go down and check on your brethren in Shechem, you know, and, and see how they're doing, see how the flocks are doing, right? Um, the remez there, because we start out, you know, we start out the Parsha with... Um, he, went to, he was in Canaan. Verse 3, now Israel loved Yosef more than mm. all the shops, and mm -hmm. this is the beloved son, right. right? And he sends the son from Hebron, which is where they're living at the time, he sends him uh, uh, to go check on them in Shechem, okay, where, where the brothers are. The Ramez there, for me, 
is we have Messiah Yeshua, who is the beloved son of the Father, right? Who is sent by that father. By that father to go check on the on the family. And what does Yeshua say when he arrives? I'm here, I'm looking for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Ow! And when he says that, where is he when he says that statement? I mean, I have no he idea. says it twice, where both, in, both in Matthew, the second time, which is in Matthew chapter 15. He is in, uh, he is not in the south, which is where Hebron and Jerusalem would be. He's in more in the north, where Shechem, uh, he's in a place, uh, he's in, I think it's Sedona, I think is what it is in the, in the Greek. Sidon. Sidon, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so he's up there looking for his brothers. He's looking for the flock, which is the picture we have here. The father sent the beloved son, who is dressed in royalty, sent him down to go look and check on the flock and make sure the brothers are doing well, right? Um, you want to answer? I just just real quickly because who does he ask? Who do you ask? Who does he ask where the brothers are? A stranger. Uh, a stranger. My, huma, my humash, the gutnik humash, <laughs> says he asks the man Gabriel, who tells him where his brothers are, which is the announcer of the, Yeshua. The, the birth, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's cool. And those are on sale tomorrow? Oh, no. <laughs> Go ahead. You're on a roll, brother. Go. So um, so then he so he schleps, schleps over to Shechem, has the encounter that, oh, well, they've actually moved on to Dotan, so he goes up to Dotan. Two the wells. What's that? Two wells. Don't get him started Dutan on the wells. Two wells. <laughs> so he, uh, so the brothers now see him coming, and they, and which, you know, it's almost sort of the same kind of idea as they lifted their eyes sort of thing, and so they see him coming, right? And um, they plot, they hatch the plot, so he shows up, they uh, according to Genesis Ravah, um, 84-85, they strip him of his cloak and all of his clothes. Right. Okay. Hmm. Where have I heard that? Um, they throw him in this pit. The pit would have been a cistern that had that was empty, that was dry. A cistern um, holds the water. Right. Which is why it says there was no water in it. So, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is there's... Uh, there's some commentary that I came across that talked about um, in the in these arid desert climates like this, when cistern would was no longer active, right? It would become a natural habitat for things like scorpions and snakes. and snakes because they could get down out of the heat of the day and they would kind of kind of stay down at the bottom of the cistern, right? So in other words. Um, the idea is that when they threw him into this pit, it was in fact a, de- a death sentence, because the way that would have probably looked is there was lots of stuff down there that was not going to be pleasurable. Yeah. Right? Um, <clears throat> there's another another Jewish commentary that actually says that he was in the pit for three days before the Ishmaelite traders came by. Okay. Uh, now, who knows if that's true or not, but it's pretty cool, right? <laughs> so um, they so they, they they strip him, they throw him in this pit that was a virtual death sentence, okay? And then, um, according to the Midrashim, 
So this is Jewish sages who are not believers in Yeshua. There's a midrash that says that they actually cast lots for his tunic because they had to decide who was going to be the one to go back home and, and tell, tell, dad. tell dad this fabricated story. Yeah. They cast lots for the tunic and the lot fell to Judah. And that is why Judah was the one when they returned had to step forward and kind of give the, you know, the beans, yeah. give the story, right? Um, so again, we have a parallel there with Messiah who at his death they put a robe a red robe on him right they mocked him as a king right but they stripped him you know um, and they cast lots for his garment uh, which was also prophesied in, in the psalm psalm right. 22 I think 22 so uh, so then according to the, this one uh, commentary he was in the pit for three days before the Ishmaelite traders come by what are the Ishmaelite traders carrying? What what good are they carrying with them? Spices. Spices. Okay. They're headed down to Egypt with spices. So at the end of the three days, the, the spice traders come along. They The brothers say, oh, he's still alive. Why don't we just sell him and just get him out of here? Right? At least we get some cash. So they sell him to the spice traders after three days. And he then goes down to Egypt, right? And he's now in exile, as it were. Right? Outside the land. He's outside the land. He's he's dwelling amongst a, a people that aren't his own. Okay? Again, the parallel there being that Messiah, who was laid in an empty tomb in the ground, right, was there for three days and three nights. And then afterwards, what happens? The women come with what? Spices. Spices. Okay. Um, so you have just these incredible parallels that uh, you just can't make that stuff up. <laughs> the, you know, it can't all be coincidence, right? So, um, and then and then we get into Egypt, and then of course there's all kinds of stuff that happens there. But um, come on. Um, I just I want to bring to your attention that these men, whether they're eloquent or not, whether they stumble or not, they're doing it from up here because they've studied it and they're practicing giving it to you so they can give it to the naysayers who do not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the very king of Israel and the king of the world. Amen? Amen. You are next. Then you. Then you. <laughs> then you. Um, Senor. One of the things that stood out this year for looking at it is the fact that they, they talk about how they would give his garments um, and tear them to make it look like he'd been devoured yes. by a wild beast. What that reminded me of is that in Psalm 22, one of the discrepancies, and Taylor can correct me if I'm wrong because he's kind of an expert on everything, I feel like, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the discrepancies between the Dead Sea Scrolls and like the text we have today, one of the things that comes up sometimes, at least in like, the translations and Hebrew and all that stuff, is there's a passage that talks about they pierced my hands and feet, but in Psalm 22, the other translation that's sometimes used is it talks about like being like lions, lions 
the idea of like wild animals. So we yeah. see like a parallel, lions of Bashan. like almost like an or, or like the and they they gaped at me with yeah. open mouths. Yeah. There's a couple of passages, no matter what your translation in Psalm 22, that connect the idea of wild animals to this, well, what appears to be something of a execution yeah. in Psalm 22. Um, so again, we've got like this parallel between not only Joseph's um, life, but also even in the kind of his death, yeah. as it were, is paralleled again to Yeshua through another passage, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Another thing that we noticed this year looking at it is how um, they sell Joseph, his brothers sell Joseph, almost in a sense like we don't want him, he's not one of us, he's somebody else's, okay. whatever. Um they recognize later when Masa- when they when they see who he is. Well, they don't they, skip through. I know. You're, I know. you're on it. You're on it. Give me that. But, Flesh that out. Okay. Well, when they when they see later who he is and they recognize he's their brother, is when he reveals himself to them. Yes. And I was thinking about today. One of the things that's really interesting is that, um, for centuries and centuries, the Jewish people have generally rejected Messiah Yeshua outright, completely. He's not anything. We don't want to be any part of him. He's there, this sort of pagan deity, you know, whatever. But what's interestingly enough and very odd is that over the past 50 years, it's going to be a little longer, um, more and more scholars, and now even Orthodox Jews would go so far as to say he was a good Jew. Mm-hmm. So what we see is they haven't, haven't embraced him as his title, but they have embraced him as their own, which is a change. A big time. And I think that that, I think to me, that reminds me of this story in that... Um, when does, when does Joseph, and I think ultimately Messiah, reveal himself? He reveals himself when he is accepted by his people. Yeah. And so I see that that change has begun to where now they, they accept Yeshua as one of them. At least he was why, a Jew. Why did they accept him? Right. I mean, why did they accept him in, 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 in Mitzrayim? Yosef, when did they recognize him? After he, After he speaks. He speaks Hebrew. He speaks Hebrew. You bet. So, I mean, some, some of the guys are kind of dancing around this is, for those who may not have heard that whole parallel that, you know, Joseph is pretty much living amongst the Gentiles and comes to absolute preeminence in the Gentile world. All of the Gentiles recognize him as top shelf. He saves the world. He saves the world. And all the Gentiles believe this. He is a known commodity. And the Jews show up and through some dealings, he reveals himself. He reveals that he not only can speak Hebrew, but he is Hebrew. And then they recognize their brother. Do you get it? I mean, it's amazing. And then they amazing. mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, which is what we saw exactly, with Jacob. Exactly right. Good. Well, that was kind of what I was going to say, which is he was making, uh, Mr. Ruffin was making the... Uh, reference with the sheaves and how they're going to all bow down yes. and Messiah when he returns that's what's going to happen. Well, I think we actually see that happen with Joseph because he's presumed dead yes. by his, his, his father by his and, and, his, and his family and so they come down to Egypt and they're all bowing down to him and he's... They don't even realize. They don't even realize but this it's kind of the same thing. He was preeminent as you were saying. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought yeah. It, was interesting. it is amazing that a, a Jewish man becomes... Yeah. Who's, who looks Egyptian, is dressed in Egyptian garb, right? And that's that's what we've done with Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got blonde hair, blue eyes. He doesn't look Mediterranean. He doesn't look... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? Eye makeup on. Eye makeup on, the whole deal. Yeah. 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 Is it a follow-up? Yeah, I, have, I, have, I have a separate question. I don't know. 
We did it now because we're in this area. Hold your question for just a moment, Jerry. I just thought that was what Greg said. His story was awesome, and I had written down all those points too. And the one that I wanted to add to it was, you know, they they said they cast a lot, so they threw him in the pit. So we're kind of getting the, the same. Um, analogy with, with Yeshua's death. Yes. And then what did they do after in the pit? Then they what did they do? They sat down and ate. And what did they do after they put Yeshua in the in the tomb? Didn't they have their Seder, Seder meal? meal. Oh, that's good. That was the one I wanted that's to add to which I think was really uh, kind of cool very too. I like it. I like it. Very, nice. very neat. Uh, I got you. In in relationship to what uh, Rob Upton said. The, uh, the thing that I was alluding to with Tamar and Potiphar's wife, Tamar, the sages give her a total pass, and I think we all could kind of understand it, at least, even though it's not necessarily part of our culture, understand the significance of her wanting to be uh, rightly acknowledged. Yeah. Um, and the way that she went around about it, the sages say that, that and spe in specific, Rashi says that Tamar was totally righteous in her, in her actions. And, and because even, she, even Judah realizes Because that. she anticipated, not just totally at, at righteous in, in retrospect, but she anticipated that the offspring, she wanted to have a son from Yehuda. Right. Because she anticipated the offspring to be Mashiach. That's very good. And, but Potiphar's wife, and this is the allusion to what we're talking about in this, how does this relate to Messiah? Potiphar's wife is the foreign woman. She's, she has no part in it, but she recognizes the prophecy that this is a great one, Yosef, yes. and that his offspring will be ruler of the universe. And so she, as the church, as it were, decides that it's best that she be the one to bring birth to the Messiah. So she tries to seduce Yosef so that she will be the mother of God, as it were. Yeah. What we see is we see actually that her prophecy was not completely correct. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> it's the daughter. Right. And and the daughter, in fact, we see as the one who will give birth to uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. It's Aspenet. And we right? see, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Aspenet? Aspenet. 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 Oh, his name was Shuvadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadubadub
there should be a, a remez that jumps point, out. Point, 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 point. Revelation, Revelation 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, yeah, literally, it's there. It's cool. You don't even have to stretch. You know, yeah. Now, can, for those of you who have not looked at the scriptures this way, I just want to make sure you're picking up that this is astonishing that Jewish sages are pointing out all of these clues about Messiah. And here we are, Gentiles. We already know about Messiah. And we're going back and looking at the clues and going, wow, they got it. <laughs> Holy cow. Yep. Actually, I think Mary had Was yours on the same thing? No. Go ahead, okay. Mary. I had something from last year on the uh, garment. <laughs> yeah, so you were, you were asking me two weeks ago if I was going to come up with, you know, a summary of each one. It's not me. It's Mary. It's me. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Mary. What, what do you have from last year, Mary? Well, not everyone. It's just actually a note from Mr. Upham. It's yeah. a little, little mini Josh. I only have like little main keywords here, so if he wants to elaborate on it, that would be amazing. But basically, it's um, that there were three instances that he came up with, um, I believe, where there was a goat and a garment, and it led to deception, where it was it was about deception, and that was Jacob and his father because he puts on oh, Esau's right. garment and right. slaughters a goat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And. Uh, the sons and Jacob, of course, and right here. they slaughter. Yeah. And then Tamar and Judah. She mm -hmm. keeps his cart garment. In exchange for a gift. And you have you have Judah who deceives his father with the goat in the garment. Yeah. Is deceived mm -hmm. with the goat himself. So you have the constant, you know, you're reaping what you're sowing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, He's um, good even in reruns, isn't he? In <laughs> <laughs> German, that's called shiny. I got uh, go ahead. Well, mine's not on topic, so if you're yours is not on topic. On this topic, what, that we're discussing at this moment, which is not a joke. Was it just mentioned? Well, yeah, hang on a second. There's a lady ahead of you. Well, just no, but I just, just on, just I was just gonna throw in just, but Mr. Uffel just, I just said that Judah was deceived. But then Jacob was deceived as well. Yes. So it's like two, all three? Yeah. All three were deceived and deceived. Right. Beware lest your sins will find you out. Jacob, Jacob deceived his reach. father with a goat and a garment. And then Jacob was deceived with a goat and a garment. And then Judah. And Judah was deceived with a goat and a garment. They were deceptive and deceived. Are you catching that? Are you writing that one down? Olivia, there's going to be a quick one here. You're not taking that to I just have a quick thing. One time on our trip to Israel, we went to Bagaland Museum, Yeah. which is up there. And they have all these historical things really cool. And they have zitzit that are tied in this case. And they actually use this passage about Judah. That at that time it was their marker yeah. and their knots were how they determined. Sure. The knots. It was and their they, driver's license, basically. Yeah, and they yeah. could press it in clay to, or yeah. you know, those kind of things. And to so, demonstrate who you are. Yeah, she actually had his stuff. Yeah. The cord. Don't give your yeah. ziti to just anybody. <laughs> well, you know, even to, even to this day. Even to this day in Judaism. You can look at the way a man has tied his zitzi, and you can tell much about his halakha and, and what his practices are. 
Are they, uh, the way he walks, the way his faith works. Right? I don't have to Thank say, you. I believe, you just look at my seats. And you can see, obviously I believe because I'm obedient. How I believe and how I walk is presented by how I tie these. Did I tie them the way Yeshua tied his? Wouldn't that be cool? Did, you, did I tie them the way Chabad and the Lubavitchers tie yes. Did I tie them the way Rick Spurlock ties them? Did I tie them the way... <laughs> Greg Upham ties him, you know, that kind of thing. Greg, right? Greg and I tie them the same. Yeah, this, of course you do. Of course you do. Can I see yours? <laughs> Those look like mine! That's so cool! <laughs> Actually, the three of them tie <laughs> We do. And isn't it odd that we tie them Sephardi? That's not. <laughs> no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let me stand on this side of the room. It's not odd for you, but it is odd for me. Okay, thank you very much. No, but you didn't use the safari. No, we use Ashkenaz. I taught Joseph how to do Ashkenaz. I don't know what we still do, but I do Ashkenaz. I was joking. Well, the, the nuts are the same. No, actually, his are different. If he tied him there'll be there'll be a not exposition after. <laughs> yeah. All right, so off topics. Somebody had mentioned this, and it jogs one of the other connections to Yeshua is Joseph's prophecies. He said, "You all are going to bow down to me, and the sun and the moon are going to bow down to me." And at least so far, that's false because we don't see it happening. So you could hear his brothers thinking. Nope, that's not going to happen. That's we don't see that happening at all in this. So if, if the if the Bible were to end here, this wouldn't be true. Likewise, a lot of folks in the anti-missionary world will say, "Okay, you have all these prophecies about Jesus <coughs> that he's going to come and destroy the nations, and there's going to be peace on earth, and the the swords will be beaten, the plowshares, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Hasn't happened, therefore it's false. And you can kind of see the brothers arguing that way, potentially, only to realize that the anti-missionaries will say, yeah, well, you Christians will put everything in the second coming. In other words, you're just saying, you know, give Jesus a second chance. He'll, he'll actually fulfill messianic prophecies <laughs> this time around. Come on, we know he blew it the first time, <laughs> but the second time. And so they, they kind of... They jest at us because they'll see us viewing the second coming as kind of everything that Yeshua said he was going to do that was visible and powerful, we always put in the wastebasket called the second coming. True. And they view it as a cop-out. They view us spiritualizing. Well, he did come and remove sin from the world, but in our hearts. <laughs> you know, he did come and he's ruling over the nations, but spiritually. And so they view us as copping out. But I look at this and I say... Right now, Joseph has not been proven true in his prophecies. Right now, everyone's thinking, yeah, see, he's gone. He's off in Egypt. His prophecies are, have not come true. We're not bowing down to him. Therefore, he's false. He's dead. That's it. He's done. And I see the same parallel of, but wait until the second half of the story. So likewise, we say, but wait until Yeshua returns. He will do these things. But Blessed are those who believe and do not speak. And, and to your point, to just say, hang on, he hasn't done it yet, kind of thing, is something rings hollow. Yeah. But if you could point to the scriptures and say, was well, not what his brothers were thinking? His brothers were thinking just like you, right? Right here. Well, let's read the rest of the story. Exactly. That's good. I like that. Thank That's you, very Paul good. Harvey. Yeah, the rest of the story. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to, it's okay to kind of shift gears and move on to the next topic Please and do. story here. Um, I, Feel oh, free to but, come but back to a, it. Go, right, right go, we go, 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 go. I just have one question. Yes. It says that the brothers were pasturing their sheep, sheep in Shechem. I want to know why, assuming Genesis is a chronological book, they just slaughtered pretty much everybody in Shechem. Why would they return to the scene? They own it. Who's left in Shechem <laughs> to mess with them? <laughs> I mean, it's not that so much they would mess with them. Why, I mean, personally, if I killed a bunch of people somewhere, I'm not sure I would want to go back. You from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can understand. I can understand. So if you, if you wiped out a family in a town, you probably wouldn't want to go but back. Right there. If but you wiped out every man, right. there's really nothing to fear anymore. I mean, Jacob was concerned that his reputation would be damaged, not his body. And they moved on shepherding the flocks elsewhere. So going back, it's good shepherd land because there's really and nobody he, and shepherding. And they still own that piece of property. Exactly, bought. correct. Well, right. How is he saying for them to come back then? Did he send Joseph to bring them back? Why? Not to bring them back, to check on them. Oh, to check on. Was he worried about him? Is that why he was checking on him? He's worried about I mean, that's not what you brought. <laughs> good, good question. Yeah. Uh, they're drinking. Well, specifically in response yeah. to the question, there is, there is an, there is an understanding from Zal that, uh, that Joseph, that there had been issues with the brothers before, and Joseph would go tell dad, which of course didn't endear him any at all to dad, right? And so there was this reputation among the brothers that they were often creating mischief, and so that may be one reason why. And, and certainly wasn't that actually borne out in Shechem. Right. Mm-hmm. But with respect to Shechem, uh, Shechem is eternally linked to Joseph because Joseph is buried there to this day. That's right. Mm-hmm. They, they took his bones out of Egypt, right, and buried them in uh, in so that is that is part of the you know the biblical homeland. Now, if you're standing in Shechem when the Lord returns, you'll watch Joe stand up one more time. <laughs> when they when the brothers said, "Let's see go to Dothan," the brothers said, "Let us go to Dothan." Yes, it can be read just a couple words different or a couple letters different. It can be read as, "Let's go and find a pretext." Let's go and find a... A reason, a legal reason. Uh, in other words, what they're doing is they're finding... And that's why when they throw them into the pit, it's the same way. It kind of bothered me a little bit the other night. Someone said something along the lines of, the Sanhedrin convicted Yeshua, yeah. which is absolutely false. Correct. The Sanhedrin had no part in it. Right. But there were leaders that did find a legal pretext to convict him yes. on the basis of blasphemy. Yeah. Totally legal, totally even though cool. the setting was illegal, they found legal pretexts. In the same way, the brothers were finding legal pretexts. So Rashi and Rambam both, Rambam both recognize that that phrase, if the words are just slightly changed, a couple letters actually are changed, it can read, let us go and find a pretext, a reason, mm-hmm. instead of let us go to Dotan. Dotan is two wells, which I thought you were going to pick up on. No, I didn't. Yeah, we're going to skip on the Dotan. I'll look into it. I would just like to clarify Hang on a second, Marianne. Tim, can you hear what she's saying? I can barely hear her over here. No, it's a little tough. See, Tim's, having, Tim's having a tough time. Mary, Just come a on. clarification. Yes. Taylor, did you say that every queen went into the bucket of 
Rustak and Khan, because didn't Yeshua did fulfill quite a few things that would be maybe not coercive evidence, but enough to where people would start thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the main points that I was thinking were there were some messianic expectations, which we still hold today, that Yeshua is accomplishing and will fulfill ultimately in the future. For example, the as aforementioned, the wolf lying down with the lamb, as prophesied, the swords being beaten into plowshares, sin being ripped from the earth, and that specifically in the context of anti-missionary arguments. Because they'll say, look, I know that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't even need to look at this. I'll look outside. If those things haven't happened, the Messiah hasn't come yet. And we would say, okay, there's more to it than just that. But those things are true, and we still do await those. And so he did fulfill myriads upon myriads of prophecies that no other man on earth has ever come close to fulfilling. And it's those points that on the one hand you need to emphasize, but on the other hand we do have to account for the wolf and the lamb and the sword and those things. Having said the man's verdict, he goes through all of those ad nauseum. That there are so many prophecies that Yeshua literally fulfilled in his first coming. But when you're talking it to a Jew, when you're talking yeah. to a Jew, those normally don't matter. Because they're not as quantifiable and amazing as the things they've been waiting for. Example, for what, what, what did uh, the master's apostles ask him? Will you now return the kingdom to Israel? Is it time? I mean, come on. I got the sword. I'm ready. Are you going to set up your kingdom now? What are they looking for? They're looking for a messianic redeemer who's going to get them back in the place where they rule. And that didn't happen. So but that's what they were waiting today. for. They're still looking for it. Exactly. Right. They're looking Paul. for a Persian horse to be tied up in the land of Israel. Then Messiah will come. And Paul explicitly said, we do not yet see all things set under him. At a kosher pit. So they're still <laughs> awaiting the final consummation. Oh, there are, there are substantial things. There are substantial things. That are beyond that. Josh McDowell, evidence of man's verdict. The whole book. Two volumes. Two volumes. Evidence of man's verdict. Josh McDowell. I have on the shelf. We have a lending library. Judah, the next part of the story. We're moving on now to the Hoobie Scooby with the kid and the girl on the corner. Well, actually, we're not really even to covered. that part yet. Well, we're going to that uh, right now. Because um, Judah is, I think, a very interesting character study. Um, Judah is a character who is, he is called out to be a leader, ultimately. But I think that up until the end of this portion, Judah's leadership skills are like yeah, halfway. He's, he's, not somewhat, he's not someone who stands in, behind the scenes. He's not a wallflower. But he tends to basically have trouble, like, um, when he runs into opposition, he goes the easiest way out, just in general. It's like with, with, the, with selling Joseph. I think Judah was in the, was, had right motives when he was trying to sell Joseph. He didn't want him to kill Joseph, but he kind of took the easy way out. He didn't tell his brother, we can't do anything, just bring him, pill him back out of the pit, stick him home. They said, well, if we sell him, that's, you know, it's not as bad as killing him. So he takes kind of like a shortcut. Like, again, he, he shows limited leadership in that he offers something, but he doesn't really go the full way. And I think... Standing up nine to one is a tough thing. It is. I agree. But there's an, it, the sages say that the brothers blame Joseph or Judah for the way that Jacob handles the situation, when Jacob is distraught, 
because they say, Judah, if you had said, let's take him back home, we would have followed you. So I think that Judah had the leadership capacity, but he didn't use it, not, not completely. And I think we see that in this story. He has three sons, two of whom are pretty crummy, which is not a very good record so far. He's at least the you know, majority. I think we moved past pretty crummy when they both dropped dead. Right. I mean, like, really bad. So Judah does the right thing in telling the second son, hey, go uh, do left right marriage with your dead brother's wife. But then when the second son drops dead, Judah's like, oh, she must be really bad luck. So he, he then goes, again, the easy way out. He lies to her, says, don't worry, when he's old enough, he'll be around, and then tries his best to hope that she'll forget about it, which is really, again, I think, again, it's, it's taking the easy way out. He doesn't, run, he doesn't hide, per se, but he takes the shorter path. What, I mean, same thing with like, the whole deal with the, the prostitute thing. Now we get to the hoobie scooby part. He, he, after his wife dies... He doesn't go and court another woman. He takes the easy way out. Oh, yeah, they, you know, guys got needs. There's somebody with the veil on. Let's go check with her. So basically, it's like, I think it's great. Prostitutes back then put more clothes on. The point is that um, the, uh, Judah has a tendency to take the easy way out. But what's cool about this story, I think is really powerful, is what is the turning point in Judah's story? It's when he's forced to take not the easy way out, but when he's forced to step forward and say, that was mine. He has to do the hard thing. And it's fascinating to me that um, we were reading through this, this time, looking at his son, Peretz, is the one from whom Messiah comes. Peretz is the one who asserts himself. It's not, it's not the son who you know, takes first initiative here, but it's the son who pushes past. He works. He perseveres. And it's that character trait that ultimately defines the Jewish people and defines Messiah as someone who, in a sense, perseveres the difficulties. Judah ultimately does that, and we'll see in the next week's passage, or maybe in the passage, I'm not sure about where we are here, but Judah ultimately will take the hardest way. Yeah. Take me! And I think that is, that's ultimately, as a leader, that's what we're called to do. We have to take the stand for what's right. Outstanding. Ruben so, did the same thing, didn't he? Ruben, no, Reuben takes Ruben a shortcut. Reuben, he, he tries. tries. He tries. So, I mean, that's, that's outstanding. Hang on a second. Um, did I see Hannibal? No, you're just. Um, that's good. Um, I like the the whole juxtaposed, and it makes me stop and think. Even if I'm thinking poorly about Judah, when they're taking that girl out, yeah. three months pregnant, he could have looked at that stuff and said, "I think I like these eat seed. I'll keep them for myself," and not said a word. And that would have been the easy way out. But he steps up. That's good. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. So I'm trying to figure out, why isn't Reuben top shelf? What, 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 what happened there? He defiled his father's bed with Bilhah. Simeon and Levi. I was going to hope that you, the Shechemite guy, was going to step up. Right? And, and that leaves Yehuda. Yehuda, and from him comes Messiah. Okay, so I, yes, sir. So, so the, I, the phrase, identify please, hakarna, uh, is, is the phrase that Joshua correctly points out. This is where, this is where the light goes on for you. So because it's the same phrase that he says to his father when he gives him the bloody tunic. He says, identify please, hakarna. 
So wow, and, 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 and Yosef, Yosef, and Yosef's like with his dad is the same phrase, exactly the same phrase. Mm -hmm. So, and it, actually, it's a fairly rare phrase in, in in biblical Hebrew. So it's not like something you see a lot. Yeah, uh, we're going to see it again actually next week's portion. That's not no, week. two weeks for that. That's, that's uh, but this week we see it twice where Yehuda, and this is where the first time he says it to his father, and the second time he hears he hears it from Tamar who then recognizes, I mean, that's where he immediately sees his guilt. That, to me, is so powerful. Yeah. That this is where it's, this is this first step to his repentance. We will not see his completed repentance until two after, weeks from now, after the Joseph where the story. same phrase is used with regard to, to Benjamin. Mm -hmm. although and it's like, night light goes off. It's like, whoa, I've heard that before. Although he does make it right, because he does take tomorrow. He does. As a he does. He does. But that's why I say the first step of repentance is to undo or to, to make reparation to, to what you've done. Exactly. Good. Yes. Another quick thing on Hebrew. The Hebrew phrase is not used very much. A lot of people will notice, if you've read English and Hebrew Bibles, that it says that he took a Canaanite as a wife. Okay. It's the daughter of a, of, a, of a prominent Canaanite is a lot of English translations. And then if you read your Humash, you'll see a pro daughter of a prominent merchant. And I know that when I used to read that, I used to be, please, there go the sages again, you know, making stuff up as they go, because they don't like the fact that he married a Canaanite. But actually, the word there is um, the other word for merchant, and we actually use it every Friday night, because it's lakna'ani, lakani, which is the word for merchants used in Eshet Chayil. So the sages weren't wrong there. They actually knew more Hebrew than I did. Yeah. Who knew that? Who knew? Right. <laughs> Who knew that? All right. Turn in your Bibles, if you would. Genesis chapter 20, chapter 18. Oh, yes. 18, verse 12. I thought we were going forward. Find a good father. 18, verse what? 18, verse 12. Genesis 18, verse 12. Work with me. Work with me. Come on. Husband's old. Jerry, have you got that one? I'm getting it on. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Hold, hold on to it. You're going to do 12 and 13 and 15. Uh, Rick, would you give me 21, 6, and 9? Chapter 21? Yes, sir. Greg, would you give me um, 26, 8? And yes. Peter, would you give me 3823? And Taylor, would you give me 3914 and 17? Woo! Jerry. Of 12, 13, and 18, 12, and 13. Just 12 and 13. 18, 12, and 13. 18, 12, 13, and 15. Give me chapter 18, verses 12, 13. Bear in mind. I'm working on it. Coming from the Gutnik. Right? Do the best you can, baby. Yeah. So, so you're bringing the light to the other side of the room. Exactly. Thank you very much. There there it is. Is. Obviously, the contamination is spreading. <laughs> All right. Verse 12. Looking at her bodily organs, Sarah laughed, saying, After I have withered, will I now have smooth skin? And my husband is old. God said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, It is really true that I will give birth even though I am old? 
15, Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. He said, no, you did laugh. Who's got 21, 6, and 9? I do. Yes, sir, please. Sarah said, God has made... This is from the Gutnik as well. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah said, God has made me happy. He's sick. Uh, Whoever hears about this will be happy for me. Nine. Twenty-one nine. Oh, uh, twenty-one. Oh, I'm supposed to read seven and nine. Six and nine. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, became depraved, worshiping idols. Sarah said to Abraham, "Get rid of this handmaid." Now that's first ten. Yeah. Okay. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Twenty-six eight. It came about when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through the window and saw, and behold, Yitzhak was crossing his wife, Rebekah. Ooh. 3823. This is in the portion. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. 39, 14, and 17. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and they cried out with a loud voice. And she told him the very same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. I've always struggled with that word laugh. And the whole concept of Abimelech looking and seeing Isaac with Rebekah. And depending on your version, he was sporting with her, he was caressing her, joking he around. was laughing her, he was joking around. And, uh, you know, how, uh, what's the deal? Here's Sarah and uh, Abraham laughing that they're going to have a child in their old age. And of course, we see that uh, in our own portion here that Judah tries to send Hiram up with the goat, the kid, to give it to the prostitute and get back the stuff. Couldn't find her. What's he say? That's right. Let her keep that stuff. Otherwise, everybody's going to laugh, laugh at, at us or have sport with us. And then, of course, Potiphar's wife says, Huh. See? He, my husband, brought this Hebrew among us to laugh at us. That's how she describes what she wanted to do with Joseph. So, for me, this portion brings home what that word is all about. It's not just laughing. And we see that again at the end when uh, she tells the same story to her husband. Uh, Rebbe didn't laugh and has some really neat insights on, on that particular word because he draws three particular instances um, and to, to say three particular meanings for the word metachek. You know, one, when uh, in Exodus with the sin of the golden calf, we mean metachek to indicate prayer. Uh, this particular instance where Jacob is with his wife, they see him metachek with her uh, as an indi- indication of marital relations or sexual activity and the other was with um, Ishmael and how he was sporting with or joking with in a very crude and unseemly manner 
uh, sort of stealing the innocence of his younger brother. Um, so there's some really neat insights to be gained from those three things right. there. Dovetailing, <coughs> Dovetailing off of um, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin also has a comment about like, in, uh, maybe in light of this <coughs> or maybe in a, a side note, sort of some of the danger of guys and girls laughing together. Because he talks about how like laughter is a bonding mechanism. And, um, and so when you laugh with someone, you have a connection. You made a connection with that person. And that can be dangerous. Um, and he, I don't know that he goes so far as to say that you should never, ever laugh with some of the opposite gender. But it's kind of like, this is a little bit dangerous ground to be careful with this one, um, which I think is actually a really valid point, especially if you ever find yourself in even the remotest one-on-one type situation, which you really shouldn't find yourself in. If you look at these examples that I just gave you, just in Genesis, man, good. I always thought it was just a uh, friend of Judah. Talk about a friend. I mean, You're wrong. And goat. Yeah. And say, have yeah. you guys seen the temple prostitute? Yeah. It's not for me. Yeah, sorry. It's for a friend. I know a guy. Never mind. I'm just going to forget. That's right. You know, the thing that gets me is, he brings the goat all the way back. Yeah. I would have sold the goat. Here's 40 bucks. Couldn't find the girl. I sold the goat. I just couldn't bear to bring it back. But he does his due diligence. He's like, I asked all the local men. Yeah. And none yeah. of them knew. Yeah. Holy what's, cow. What's ironic to me is the, is the difference in mores here because we see that, the, that Judah recognizes not the fact that I'll be ridiculed because this prostitute, but I'll be ridiculed because I didn't pay her. Yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, we, we might look at it and we might say, well, that's a wrong sense of, of priorities, a wrong sense of morality. And what we, we would have to say is there's some morality. It's just it's not enough. Agreed. And, and we, when we see things like that in our world around us, we need to recognize morality for what it is. When we see it, even when it doesn't go far enough, we need to recognize, well, that's good. Just go the rest good of the way. Good start. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hiram or Hiram is... He's... He's, he's, he's a good friend. What a friend. <laughs> what a friend. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I missed my opportunity. The spice cart that the um, uh, the Ishmaelites uh, are are caravaning, there's a cool midrash, and Rabbi uh, Jeremy Gimpel kind of picks it up, that it's a, it was a sign that God was with Joseph, because normally, historically even, <laughs> Ishmaelites carried nasty smelling things, mostly petroleum products and stuff that wasn't very pretty to, to be around. Carcinogens at a minimum. So but here, like the, the one time that a that this caravan of Ishmaelites just happens to be passing by and they happen to be carrying spice cards. And they're smelling things. good. So yeah. it was a sign that, that even though this it was a, a traumatic experience for Joseph, that God even showed him that this is really gonna this is a sweet process in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to come. Now, me, Sean. To, to dovetail. Come on the heels of. Um, he didn't go to any prison. He w- wasn't like in Alabama or you know, Arkansas. He was never going to go. Because it was, um, he was thrown in prison with the king's prisoners. Yeah. This, this, this does appear to be a special Top political prison. prison. Club fed. Yeah, club, yeah, yeah. Club fed, yeah, club fed, yeah. Where you're, you're actually actually Morsi is there right now. <laughs> so, it, can can you can you feel for the baker? I'm feeling for the baker. I got you. I'm feeling for the baker. Didn't this happen once before? I mean, it seems so familiar to me. You hear a story and you go, 
Oh, well, that sounds good. Uh, maybe I'll get maybe I'll get the same positive response. They both got threes. It's all sounding good. Three days, no problem. Back in the job, no problem. By the way, send a postcard. Give us a call. Don't forget where you came from. Don't be a stranger. So the baker steps up. I think, shouldn't he have realized his dream was just a little off? <laughs> with the birds eating out of the top of the basket? I mean, it wasn't like he was putting a cupcake into the palm of the king. There's birds of prey eating from the top basket. But it was still three days, three baskets. No, no. Yeah, send your Hanukkah cards now. Yes. Well, it tells you something about the, the perspective on dreams here is the baker believed that Joseph made the dreams happen. Yeah. In other words, maybe not the dream didn't come from Joseph, but by interpreting it correctly, and that's why all the way through scripture we see this being played out. When someone interprets a dream, what they're wanting is they want a good interpretation. That's right. Because they believe that the interpretation is what makes it real. That's right. And Nebuchadnezzar is, is like the mm -hmm. ultimate on that. You bet. And uh, I think I talked to the man outside that, uh, what is it, Kokma? Dream. Kalom. Kalom. Similar to Kokma. Right? It is, yeah. Kalom is dream. And uh, when his brothers see him coming on the hill, they say, Here comes that dreamer. At least that's what it said in my version. But it really is, Here comes that Baal Kokmaim. Kolam. Kolaim. Here comes that master of the dreams. Actually, on the Baker story. Yes, the Baker. Always use old fluffle. That was his problem. But I just thought it was interesting because you notice crucifixion or whatever kind of hanging he is on the tree mm -hmm. was, I mean, that's not, he's, Israel's not the only nation to practice that. Is, Egypt had that practice too. But I, guess I, I say Israel does because in Deuteronomy, God says, when, you, when a man committed a sin worthy of death, you should hang him on a tree. But it says you should remove from that night and let the land be defiled. Right. But I would say that it's definitely hanging from a tree. It's no, not crucifixion. Crucifixion happened just was invented was okay. right before the Romans. That's true. Um, well, but the, hanging on the tree. The tree is the, the key. Of the because that's what the scripture says about the sign. Yeah. Right. That he was on the first. So um, my point with that was, though, that God, whatever, whatever the, how the tree is involved in the death, um, God tells the people to not let the body hang on for more than a day, mm. lest not be defiled. But apparently, the baker's on there for enough time for the bird to eat it. Yeah, I noticed that too. Good point. Good point. I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's the smelly baker yeah. yeah. on that tree over there. You know, I hate that. Yeah. Though, if you want to further Yosef as yeah. Messiah figure, almost as a sacrifice, you know, in the whole Ishmaelite spice thing, maybe it was for a pleasing aroma. Could be, could be, yeah. Although Joseph didn't die, but he's got that picture of death. You bet. One last parallel between Joseph and Shua. The the one thing that Joseph, uh, the, the the thing that he did that made everybody mad at him was basically his the, the way he spoke, the the bad reports, the evil reports that he would bring. Right. The Talmud even goes as far as to say that he spoke, um, Lo against his yes. brothers. Really. They blame um, him. Right. Which, you know. May or may not be true. 
Does everybody know what that is? Yeah. Evil, speech. evil speech. Evil speech. Slander. 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 Yeah. A great evil. Um, but not to, not to say that Yeshua, heaven forbid, did that, but that the, the thing that made everyone mad at him was the things he said. The, right. e, the evil reports that he would bring that were, were true. That were well deserved upon right. his, his right. contemporaries. And, and certainly, just from the scripture, if we believe the sages out, that yeah. seems to be the same thing with Joseph. Well, that's true. A prophet is either, either guilty of evil speech or he's telling the truth. Exactly right. <laughs> or both. Or both. And his truthful speech may, in fact, be evil. Yeah. Um, Joseph, throughout this passage, you, you alluded to it earlier how he um, doesn't let circumstances dictate the way that he lives, and God right. blesses him throughout that. Right. And I can't help but think about um, so much of the way that the Jewish people have handled things so often throughout history that in the midst of some of the worst possible circumstances, they almost always end up doing really well, like in business or in other types of things. And I think the reason is because one of the things about Joseph that I think is true with him, and it's also true for the people of, of, of Israel, they don't justify their work ethic or their approach to their job or whatever it might be based on what their reward is at that That's moment. Right. That's exactly right. They work hard because it's right to work hard. And that inevitably is noticed because other people don't do that. That's right. So the higher-ups see that. And, and they're elevated. And they're elevated in some level. And I think that that, like, I mean, as, a, as an encouragement to those of us who have jobs underneath employers, I think that is an attitude that we should all have Amen. because how cool would it be to be able to look back and see, like Joseph, no matter what the circumstances were, whether it was working, you know, yes. some crummy minimum wage job or it was working, you know, way up in you're, the you're hospital, that every time you went to a place... It did better, and you were promoted. You bet. That's exactly right. Yeah. I heard a really I, good quote one time that said, it was talking about Joseph, and it was talking about, you know, Joseph could go into a prison and make it a palace. Like, the opposite of Joseph could go into a palace and make, make it a prison. prison. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that... Uh, yeah. That, that attitude makes all the difference. And, and we see that positive attitude throughout. And as Yeshua, being the consummate Israelite, does the work of the Father, completely obedient, even to the point of death. And now his people are, are living in exile, and he's with them. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, soon, and in our days, and we'll see them change. And that's an expression of faith. Yes. Right. Because he's... He's not letting circumstances, you know, what might be good today or bad tomorrow, whatever. He's not letting all of that really sway him. Right. He's keeping his eyes focused on the promises that he knows are there. And, and that allows him to rise above whatever is going on. So. Okay. But then, I mean, that, that's the last verse in this passage. And, and the, the, the sages point out that it says that the cupbearer forgot him. And they say the cupbearer forgot him, but God did not. Amen. Yeah, like Joshua's point about the work scenario and what we're doing here, but not only if you don't make the company better or even get promoted, I've been in those situations where I don't really think the company got any better and I didn't get promoted, but it was the people that I affected. was involved with you and know. seemed to be infected. Right. infected. So just because infected, infected, <laughs> I still like infected. Could be all. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on which which side we look for. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying? And not necessarily will the company get better. Yeah, the results are not the, the issue. Line. The results are not the issue. Yeah, and you see that in Joseph's people. life. 
Yeah. Right? He's got the attitude before right. there's results that others can see. But it's interesting that others did see. Yes, ma'am. And uh, Tim was mentioning to me this week about, we were talking about persecution and the, the um, trivial things that happen. And as um, believers, we kind of call it tribulation or persecution. And truly, looking at Joseph and real persecution, we have to toughen up. You know, <laughs> handle those little remarks or whatever it is that we tend to get so yeah. moved by. Yeah, I agree. My wife says the worst thing that could have happened to America was the invention of aspirin. Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every stub your toe, and then, you know everybody's up crying and all this. This is toughen up here. You know, I agree. <laughs> um, do, uh, jumping back on the idea that like you want to impact the people around you. Um, oh. Train just left the station. It's, Come it's back a here. sign of age. Yeah. Yeah. I got a gray hair now. All right. So we'll close with we'll close with this. So Joseph is removed from his brothers, is lifted up in a Gentile world. He looks Egyptian, he sounds Egyptian, he dresses like an Egyptian, he speaks. Like an Egyptian. Walks like an Egyptian. <laughs> Walks like an Egyptian. <laughs> I, I, I heard that. Yeah. And, and he, is, he is revered. He is revered to the point where it's unbelievable. Savior of the world. Bam! What a parallel with Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeshua the Messiah. And then, when he chose... He revealed himself to his family, to his brothers. And they did recognize him. And they did worship him. Right prior to that, they were in fear of him. But he had already and saved them. He had saved them already. And he said, it's okay. What you meant for evil, God meant. For good. Yes. Just uh, I just thought of this just by accident, but I was uh, I, was I was reading before about why Jacob loved Joseph more, and it said the Midrash said that it's because Joseph had the exact same uh, face, face as Joseph. He carried his interest, father, which is an interesting in the sense. Yeah. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And of course, he is a very icon in Greek. Icon. Like on your desktop, you've got an icon. It's an image. It's a representation. He is a very icon, the image of the Father. Wow. I like that. Wait, is that that? No, it's, it's Joe. Uh, yeah. All right. This means Jacob was a good looking man. You're darn right. God said so too. That's right. Right? Right. All right. Um, we have uh, a few minutes now. Uh, I appreciate your, your comments. Uh, they were uplifting to me, and, and I'm going to remember some of those. <laughs> 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 well, we remind you next year. Please. Thank you very much.